yeah. the gr- and I th- this so this like six G stuff, you know, it's quite interesting because it's it's conceivable that you know I mean what what most analysts I've spoken to in the semiconductor space seem to think is that China at the moment and this is no secret is trying to become more independent in terms of technology so it's got it doesn't to. need to have have access to US made totally. equipment and tools. Uh, but this is a process that's going to take time. It's not something you can just do overnight. A lot of this stuff is really hard to, to, yeah. to develop. So it's going to take a few years. But China plays the long game. You know, a few years. If, if Huawei can survive in some slightly different shape, shape or form, right. not not really selling a it's lot of It's got two-thirds of the domestic networking it's got market. Say, it's so still it's got the domestic networking market. Uh, Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast. Still quite nice weather here mm. in um, mid-September. UK might even have a Barbie tomorrow. Wow, who would have thought? Which mean, normally means I go to Costco and get 12 different kinds of sausage and then end up eating it for the rest of the week. You, are you one of these people when you do a barbecue you have like I cook too loads much. of... Yeah. yeah. We always, you, like, you never normally sit down for a meal and have chicken and, and a burger and yeah, a sausage and all on the same plate. Just you just everything. think that's excessive, but for some reason with the barbecue it's acceptable. Know, it's like drinking mental. at an airport at nine in the morning. Well, it's like it takes you about 15 minutes to fire up. You think, well, no, I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> I might as well. It doesn't take cook. 15 minutes to turn on the cooker, does it? No. But yes, no, I, I overdo it. And um, they've got meat in your fridge for, for days. Yeah, which, you know, there's worse things. True. Um, and uh, it was fun... Last week's podcast was fun with Mary. Yeah. She she looked back on it. I think she's a bit worried that she might have sort of said some shit she regretted, but she, she looked back on it and she... She was happy. She's happy. Because you're going to um, all that stuff out then, isn't it? Because <laughs> you're going to out the, the bit where <laughs> she got drunk and trashed the studio. <laughs> and um, revealed. <laughs> yeah. um, and, uh, and Richard Fogg got name-checked in it for being an enabler, and he picked mm. up on that on, on Twitter did. as well. Yeah. So that was all good. Hopefully, well, we know... Yeah, unless something goes on, we've got Danielle coming up. Hopefully, we've got some other guests coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that people are going to hear this now, and I'm going to get the PRs going. I'd like to. I'd like my client to come on and talk about their commercial interests. Just don't fucking bother. It's not <laughs> going to happen. The people we have on are people we know we're going to have a good chat with. Yeah. If that happens to coincide, like you know, I'm not going to lie. Mary got in a couple of plugs mm-hmm. for stuff she's been involved with professionally. That's fine, but just make it a good laugh. Yeah. What what we don't want is some you know some CEO in a suit and tie, just basically regurgitating a press release on the pod. That's just not going to work, is it? No, not unless it's a CEO of Vodafone. Well, even then, no, we don't want him regurgitating a press release, but we could ask him tough questions, couldn't we? I suppose so, but that's not this. This isn't an adversarial I know, I know, pod, I know, is I know, it? I know it isn't. Yeah, we get, get him drunk. We could. Well, even that would probably get quite a lot of hits, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie, get the whole group CEO on and let us get him pissed. Okay. Um, Maybe I should start building a whole bar here. I know. Shaker. <laughs> well, I think I'm sort of partly inspired by Rogan because he's normally got something on the go. And we've yet to have a spliff on mm. the pod. But given that it's still illegal <laughs> you, you, in this you country, were compared I don't to Joe think Rogan this week. You what? You were compared to Joe Rogan. Was I? By what? At the drinks you went to? So I went to a, a drinks wow. deal with Farwell. My ego just went up there. And uh, oh, I was God, chatting no. to Cheryl, who right. was saying that um, she watches the podcast quite a lot. Right. And she think, I think it was Cheryl. It was either Cheryl or one of her colleagues who was with her. I lose track because it was at the stage of the evening. Yeah. But someone 
from the PR team at Huawei definitely sort of said, yeah, Scott's a bit, it's a bit like, right, the setup well, of it is a music bit like to my Joe ears. Rogan. Which and I, I said, oh, he really likes Joe Rogan, he'd be pleased to hear that. Yeah, yeah, so. that's just Pierre. Yeah. We're both inspired by him. Um, I've been a bit, uh, no, I don't know, uh, never mind. <laughs> just lately he's been like... Uh, you think Rogan? Yes, yeah, since he moved it's been a bit of a downhill. What, you think he's been a bit Spotify. straight, do you? Since he moved both virtually to Spotify yeah, and physically, physically to Austin. Yeah, it's just, it's you not the same anymore. You think he's lacking a bit of spark, do you? Yeah. Well, I, it, it, you keep talking about COVID all the time. I just get bored of it. Is that all he's talking about? I, I, he talks too much. Or he'll get some other rando on one of his pet things like that. That Mind one he goes on about nutritional supplements, but I find those a bit boring. I can't do three hours of nutritional supplements. No, me so. neither. Yeah. The whole world is talking about COVID all the time, so I suppose yeah. he's not unique in yeah. that. But. Anyway. Um, no offence, Joe. I'll, I'll still come on. Um, so you can go, here's Scott, who no one gives a shit about. <laughs> Let's have a chat, Scott. Talk about your book. Yeah, yeah. well, quite. That, that, that's my daydream. Can you imagine? <laughs> and talk about Huawei. Let's go. I tell you what, if I go on Rogan and talk about my book, then you can safely assume the beers are on me indefinitely. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's a little way away, um, given that no one's buying it at all. Oh. I know. Thanks, everyone. I, th- I would have thought some of you guys would. What's going on? All right, let's get to the point. Um, what have we been writing about this week? I The most read story on telecoms.com was one I wrote that the headline was Huawei publishes a book on 6G. It's a bit of journalism, really, because I didn't see the book on 6G. Um, and the first reporting of it, I think, was in Chinese language on their own, like, in, they've got their own internal internet or something. Mm. You know, China's got its own internet, full stop. Yeah. Well, Huawei's got its own internet within that. Um, and that was all in Chinese, and, and I couldn't get Google Translate to handle it. And even if it can, Google Translate on Chinese is sketchy. And you don't want to read a whole book written by Huawei on 6G, presumably. No, no offence, Huawei, but, you know. That Not from anybody. Be, yeah. <laughs> that would know. be above and beyond the... Joe Rogan wrote a book on 6G, I wouldn't read that. Um... <laughs> Uh, but um, but yes, it, so yeah, we'll talk about that. I'm, I'm keep doing my jump in the gun mm. thing, don't I? So we can talk about that, and we, and we might overlap that with Ian. You went and had some drinks with Huawei, and I was meant to go, I did. but I double booked. Sorry again, Cheryl, um, and I couldn't get out of the thing I double booked on. Um, so I'll just have to hear about it from you. Yeah. Um, then we're going to move on. You, we both covered it, but you in a much more comprehensive way. Um, a thing we, I'm sure we've chatted about on previous pods where, where Nokia felt they had to bail yeah. on, on the Oran Alliance because they were worried about getting trouble with the Americans yeah. for talking to Chinese people because it's exactly. become so ridiculous now. Yeah. They can't even hang out. Yeah. Uh, they can't even go and get some noodles together or something uh-huh. or whatever the Finnish equivalent of that is, some pickled herring. Not inside the Oran Alliance anyway. They can in the 3 no. Um Yes, well, quite. Well, now they can, though, apparently. Anyway, we just yeah, yeah. So, um, and, and, and you even you even got some scoopage there. Yeah. So, so we'll get into that, and then I think we're going to finish off. I mean, I still finish off. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's. I think we'll finish but, um, off Nokia. Um, uh, actually, in keeping with the with the sort of, well, the sort of geopolitical theme. Um, it's been a couple of stories. One I was just finishing off writing just before sending a newsletter. Um, just about the sort of confluence, the overlap of, of politics and big tech seems to be ramping up. Yeah. Um, and, and we can discuss how desirable that is. I think you can guess what my position might be on it. Um, so, yeah, that's that. And just to remind you that if you're watching this on the site or on YouTube or on Facebook, you can also listen to it on iTunes, 
Spotify, SoundCloud, and loads of other podcasting platforms. Cool. We are right. You're, you're poking technical things. Just pushing, pushing his box again. Mm. <laughs> um, so yes, so the Huawei thing. Um, so they teased a book that's being published by by Huawei on 6G. Who wrote it, Huawei? Um, Some I don't think I even noted it. I mean, it was teased by the the rotating chairman it's or, or whatever, written by Eric, Huawei. Eric Xu Zhu. Uh, yeah, I don't know how to pronounce these things. Um, well, he's pretty well. He's, he's yeah, but he didn't actually shorts, write it. Uh, yeah. He's just the one who sort of flagged it up. Um, about a couple of their senior techies, um, and uh, yeah, he's he's quoted as saying, "Huawei will define five point five G and research six G." I hate these decimal points of Gs. So do I. Yeah. Anyway, that's 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 yeah, rubbish. You see the six G. Or Quite. nothing. You can't say we're doing what. I know. 6G that makes edge. that to me that makes it sound like six G is going to be rubbish. Even saying that, because then you start to think, it's well, just actually, it's, just, it's just an incremental yeah. thing. I mean, what they should be saying is, forget about five and a half G. We're gonna we're gonna define the six G standard, and, and we're gonna be <laughs> the people who make all the money from it, and everybody else is gonna be rubbish. And even if we concede that over a ten year period, there's obviously going to be incremental progress, so maybe. There's some argument for 5.5G. Once the marketers start getting hold of 5.75 and 5.9G, then I just get tense. Yeah, 5.9 recurring is the one I'm really concerned with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, normally you only have to get to about 5.7 before the Americans start going, fuck it, 6G. It's, yeah. Um, and then no one gives a, gives a shit when 6G does come along. Yeah, yeah, because they, they just, <laughs> they've already shot such their bolts. a false, false start of about two or three years. Well, what's the difference between gigabit LTE and the average speed of 5G we get here? It's not... <sighs> Good question. In fact, probably on gigabit point. LTE, you can get higher speeds than yes. on average 5G here because it's all on low band spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's like, all, it's not all on, but. I'm so, like, for example, T Mobile in the US is making <laughs> all these big claims about 5G, but it's lobbing it out over a tiny amount of 600 megahertz spectrum. And, you know, again, this is a, this is a massive dumbing down, and feel free to correct me, Ian, but largely 5G, there's nothing intrinsic in 5G. Mm that makes it faster. There's just some cleverness that, that allows it to use fatter pipes, more spectrum. Mm. But if you're only using five megahertz of spectrum, you're not necessarily getting any speed advantage at no, all, are you? No, no, no. it's better to run, it's better to have a decent 4G service on mid-band spectrum than, than 600 mm. megahertz 5G, which is why some of the 5G speeds are actually quite disappointing yeah. compared to what w w they were being pitched as before it came along. But. So anyway, so Huawei's going, yeah, whatever, we're doing, we're talking about 6G already. Um, and so the quote is, yeah, Huawei will define 5.5G and research 6G at the same time in the next few years. And this is a test of the whole industry's imagination and creativity whether 6G can surpass 5G and 5, 5G or whatever. Which, I mean, if it can't surpass it, then what's the fucking point? Bit, but anyway, yeah. um, he's quoted as writing. This is all channelized. I'm, I'm, something may have been lost in translation. Um, and it was channelized, and I had to get it from Global Times which is state-owned yeah. Chinese press. So you've always got to take that with a pinch of salt. Um, and then, uh, and then uh, so tellingly, a Global Times piece then bangs on about what a great job Huawei has done of handling all the stuff the US has thrown at it. So this is, this is where it also got interesting, is why is Huawei writing a book about 6G now? Yeah. When it's, it, it put a date, it said, it said it reckons it will be ready to go at 2030. So we're 2021. Yeah. Why is it writing a book about it in nine years in advance? So the real reason has to be this broader geopolitical stuff. Um, and I think Huawei's 
I think Huawei is basically saying two things. Firstly, it's saying business as usual. You can you throw in all this shit at us. We're fine. Yeah, we're still getting on with it. We're still cracking on. We're good. You know, is that all you got, America? Sort mm. of thing. Um, and then it's also sort of setting up the whole um, sort of standard fork narrative. So they're basically saying we're going to be cracking with shit. You, we're going to be ready to rock, um, with or without you, in twenty thirty. Uh, what are you doing? Yeah. Which I actually think, as a bit of sort of geopolitical chess beating, isn't bad. Yeah, uh, I think there's more grandstanding now from from them on 6G than there was even a couple of years ago, because I think their 5G situation is pretty pretty desperate. What do you mean? In what sense? Who's they? Huawei's 5G situation? Huawei's 5G You mean in terms situation. of the work it's getting outside of China? In terms of the work it's getting outside of... Yeah. Mm. I mean, look... What the US has done in terms of sanctions and the entity list stuff and, you know, which has sort of almost been forgotten about, I think, a little bit in the last few months. Not by Huawei, I don't think. And and this came out a little bit at the Wednesday night thing I went to is a bit of talk about, I mean, one thing that people seem to have forgotten is uh, the big theme for Huawei this year has actually been repositioning. You know, yeah. the smartphone business, I think there's an acknowledgement that that's dying, yeah? Um, well, yeah, because largely there's, there's dead. No use, I mean, if you look well, at the, I mean, look at the numbers. Well, the last big story about them on the on the smartphones front, which I think Mike Dana reported on a, a couple of weeks before Reuters started writing about it, was that some of their latest phones will use 4G chips from Qualcomm because they can't get 5G stuff. They'll be 4G phones, right? Yeah, so they've got the perfect storm yeah. of not being able to get the chips and also not being able to use proper Android. Exactly. And yeah. this isn't just a problem for the smartphone business. You know, I mean, I dealt, de- delved into this a few months ago. You know, how important are these very high-end um, processors, 5 nanometer, 7 nanometer, you know, the kind of stuff you can only get from a couple of places, which they've been cut off from. How important are those, actually, not just for the smartphone business, but for the networks business as well? And the answer is very important. Yeah, You can't have competitive 5G equipment, the high-end massive MIMO stuff that Huawei was always regarded as being the, the kind of market leader in a few years ago, without without access to these cutting-edge processors. Yeah? So whether or not the... You know, whether or not European governments and governments outside... Um, you know, China decide to to ban Huawei and to make life difficult for it, service providers are going to see they become less competitive. Yeah. yeah. And then what's going to happen? You're going to buy stuff from Ericsson and Nokia and Samsung yeah. and ZTE even anyway, because they just won't ha- they won't be well, able to... Well, I don't think compete. you get it from ZTE, because I think the other problem, and I think we've had conversations with... Well, ZTE, there might be more restrictions. Yeah, because the other, the other concern, if you're, you know, if you're like... Um, like uh, Andrea Donner, who I'm hopefully going to chat to next week, who's the, the yeah. UK head head of networks at Vodafone. Yeah, well, he's not going to use it because he's banned from doing it. But no, but but my point is also, you know, without meaning to put words in his mouth, he's he's going to think, yeah, I I might not even even if things quieten down, I might just not not take the risk. Yeah, well, I've got a plan a decade yeah. in advance. I've got to have yeah, I've got to have secure supply lines. I've got yeah. to make sure there's not going to be some crisis. So that'll be my sure. job, and but I'll the, be out on the street. But my point is that at the moment they can't get they can't get the high end equipment they need, yeah. not only for smartphones actually, but also for networks. Yeah, and therefore, and this is why all the talk from Huawei at the moment is about you know things like cars and doing software and doing yeah. the cloud. That's An that is where they're seeing yeah, yeah. the growth. And I th- this so this six like G stuff, you know, it's quite interesting because it's it's conceivable that. 
You know, I mean, what, what most analysts I've spoken to in the semiconductor space seem to think is that China at the moment, and this is no secret, is trying to become more independent in terms of technology. So it doesn't to. need to have, have access to US-made totally. equipment and tools. Uh, but this is a process that's going to take time. It's not something you can just do overnight. A lot of this stuff is really hard to, to, yeah. to develop. So it's going to take a few years. But China plays the long game. You know, a few years. So if Huawei can survive in some slightly different shape or form, right. not not really selling a it's lot of... It's got two-thirds of the domestic networking it's got, market, so it's, so it's got going to be fine It's got the domestic networking market. Um, I mean, that's a curious one because you do kind of wonder what impact a lower, com- you know, sort of less competitive 5G equipment might have there. But then again, they've probably... There's probably price probably, controls anyway. Well, they've probably provided a lot of that stuff anyway, is what I was going to say. A lot of the chips that they'd stockpiled from TSMC, this has already gone out into Chinese networks. I mean, it's not... I can't imagine there's it, a unfettered market in Chinese networks right now. It's become so politicised. Yeah. I would have thought Xi Jinping's got his beady eye on the whole fucking scenario. Yeah. But, so, but certainly outside China, then it's conceivable that their smartphone business and their networks business really dwindles in European markets to being not very much at all. And therefore it becomes, you know, more, ever more important for them to make money from China, as well yeah. as things like the cloud and, and software for cars. Yeah, Xi Jinping will make shit. sure they can. Yeah. And, and, and so basically all they've got to do is do that, be successful. I mean, and to be quite honest with you, most of the money still comes from China anyway. It's ridiculous how much they, they generate from China. You know, even when they were still selling loads of stuff to Europe, it was still their biggest market by far. And, and then let's say in four or five years' time, China has its own chip-making capabilities and, and all these worries that, that are there at the moment about not being able to get access to high-end chips, maybe those of uh, aren't a concern anymore, let's say 26, 27. And then you're going to need this stuff for 6G as well. It's going to be equally important to have that kind of hardware capability for 6G. Yeah. Mm. And, and by this stage, who knows? I mean, we've talked about this before, but maybe we end up in a situation where... We don't even have a, a unified 6G standard. Well, so that's back to the back to the article. I mean, that's that's the sort of long and short of it. They didn't say it. Um, you know, there's some stuff. If we take so the interesting thing about having something like the Global Times, because Xi Jinping, you, you never see Xi Jinping stand up and talk, do you? He's like the opposite no. of Donald Trump. You know, he's like the anti-gobshite. But then he's got all these indirect channels. Yeah. And you assume that anything the Global Times puts up, especially if it's an opinion piece, yeah. has had sign-off pretty far up. Yeah, the, he's, he's the sort of slightly chain. aloof from it. Yeah, he's yeah. a kind of uh, a sort of figurehead type person yeah, who's putting the but, strings. Yeah, but, he, but he's, he's a sort of puppet master, yeah, the sort yeah. of Machiavellian type. Um, and, and so I don't think it's unreasonable to take a Global Times opinion piece as the position of the Chinese Communist Party, more or less. Yeah, yeah. And so the Global Times piece um, goes on about, it says, um, the US, this is qu- quoting from the piece, US ban has hurt Huawei's business to some extent, but has not been able to hurt it fundamentally. Well, I mean, that's ridiculous. I know. Well, this is propaganda, isn't it? Yeah. But, but it, what it does is it tells you what their political direction of travel is and, it, and its yeah. defiance and, and all that sort yeah. of thing, which is fair enough. Uh, and then it quoted a supposedly independent analyst called Shang Li Gang, I think. Um, and he goes, quote, backed by China's vast market, to your point, um, Huawei managed to maintain its capital, staff team and research capabilities, which I believe will empower the company to push forward next generation technologies and reinforce its lead in the global telecoms industry. I mean, they're just lucky to ha- happen to be, you know, from the market, from a country in the world that is, 
I mean, it's not lucky because that's part of the reason they're so successful anyway. You know, you don't, you come out of a country with a billion people and all that access to talent and resources. It's one of the reasons that Chinese companies are so competitive, isn't it? But but they they have yeah. that domestic market that's always going to support them. Whereas if you're a you know if you're a, if you're a business that's from Ireland, you know, and you're really big on the world stage, you, you obviously have to be. Yeah, you can't selling, rely on Ireland. You can't rely on Ireland with all to due do respect that. To um, our Irish cousins. So, are there any examples actually of Irish companies that are really big on the world stage? I mean, I'm tempted to tempted to no, talk about booze. <laughs> right, but yeah, then, there's Guinness. Then I think Diageo yeah, owns Guinness. And so most Guinness is, is probably sold. I mean, there's a huge amount of Guinness sold in Africa, for instance. I know. Jameson, huge. We like a bit of Jameson. Jameson's Who owns pretty that? popular in the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah. but anyway, no. I mean, I'm but. sure there are others. Um, we just we just haven't done the research. But yes, the, the point being, their domestic market of three million punters or however many people who live in Ireland, it, it, you know, they've got to be global. Yeah. Whereas whereas China can be completely insular, and I think increasingly, um, the West, as personified by the US, is sort of is partly adopting an if you can't beat them, join them approach. I think, I think the US is just fine with a bit of balkanisation. Yeah, because they're you know they're chucking money uh, at anyone who says they know how to make a chip. They're chucking money uh, uh, open ran, which we'll get onto in a bit. Yeah, but you know the reason open ran has become something of a political interest is because it allows autonomy from Huawei. Yeah, in their eyes, um, it just so happens an American company, Intel, is right slap bang in the middle of it as well. Yeah. Um, well, this is this is evident in Europe this week, and this ties in with your story on 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 six G. All this stuff about the Chips Act, you know, that yeah. Ur- Ursula, whatever her name yeah, is, I didn't, Ursula Andrews. I, I saw you guys covering about. that, but I didn't I didn't get around to that. I mean, Did you, you write it up or someone no, else? No, Ken wrote it up, All but right. I mean, it's it very much ties in with the stuff that Intel was was going on about last. You know, um, what's his name? What's Intel's new boss called? <sighs> Former VMware CEO. Yeah, I'm really annoyed now that I can't remember. Gelsinger. His name. Gelsinger was was in Europe at an auto- yeah, automotive yeah. show and said he was going to so spend gonna 80, money 80, in billion, Europe, Europe. 80 billion on ten European fabs over the next ten years. Yeah, he didn't. And s- I, I read his bit. He only explicitly spoke about two or three fabs. No, he said ten in his speech. The transcript oh, was on seeking alpha. Oh, yeah. right, right. I think I just um, got it from their press release. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So, uh, and I think they've already decided on a couple. I think uh, that's what it was. It was there was like there was the hard commitment, and then there was the nice to have commitment. Yeah. I think that's that's the distinction I made. He said we're definitely spending a bill on a couple, yeah, but we could spend up to this amount on this many. And, and he was very much kind of riding off riding off the back of this wave of protectionism, really. Yeah, you know, like oh, I mean, his whole speech, if you read it, it's all about oh, Europe's Europe's falling behind in production. It used to be if you go back to nineteen ninety six, it used to account for forty percent of the world's semiconductor production or something, and now it's down at nine percent. Right, and obviously there's this European ambition that was published a few months ago to double that more or less to go yeah. up to 20% in the next they're good at publishing years. ambitions not so yeah. good at fucking doing something yeah like and that. then so as Ursula Andrus or whatever her name is <laughs> came, came striding out of the waves only it was Ursula with, with her bikini on saying we need to <laughs> we need to basically have like a European production capability and yeah and, and the, the, the trouble is that I mean, the best way for them to do it, actually, I think, is probably to get companies like Intel and TSMC to come over and do offshoots and do yeah, and yeah. do local because at least then you had, you don't have this concern. That's what America's about, doing with TSMC. This is exactly what America's doing. Yeah. You don't you don't want all your high end chips being made in Taiwan, basically, which no. any day now could get taken over by the Chinese. What you want to have is 
local local production basically but to try and do it yourself i did, this is a thing that's not very clear from this european chips act are they talking about pumping money into you know seeding european businesses to do that because that i think would be a stupid idea well that's also also kind of runs contrary to their own rules about protectionism yeah. which is obviously bollocks yes, but they do, the, but they're the very whole, hypocritical aren't well, they well the eu is a protectionist block what it doesn't like is protectionism within the block yeah. That's one of the reasons they're so butthurt about Brexit, because now we get to do all that stuff that wasn't allowed before. Yeah. You know, such as... Like having empty shelves in a supermarket. Uh. <laughs> oh, hello. He went there. I, I have to say, I haven't noticed any Oh, empty I have. I went to a petrol yet. station yesterday. Yeah. There was hardly any chocolate bars. I did today as well. Bloody hell. Well, it's going to end up being like... Um, I wanted a croissant. It really is going to end up being like The Walking Dead. No croissant for the past three days. Well, I think you'll find that when supplies get tight, it's foreign food that gets... Cut off first. Obviously, there's, there's plenty of buns. Yeah. You can make your own croissants. Loaves of hovers. No. You just roll a bit of pastry up in butter and yeah. you know, you should turn it into a crescent shape, whack it in the oven. What they teach you to get the layers? It's impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, really and then afterwards, you have indigestion for about three hours because you put too much butter in. I would yeah. never get indigestion from butter. I'm French. <laughs> <laughs> they, have a, they have a different intestinal situation. My arteries are pure butter. <laughs> <laughs> like a bit of burr over there. Um, but, uh, um, so yes. So yeah, I think you know. I think I think we agree that is all interesting. And, and yeah, there's just this this sort of great game going on. I mean, you know, talking about Europe and talking about France, I, I can mention them. Another story I wrote this week. It wasn't really a telecom story, but it's so big that it affects everything. So I decided to cover it. Um, and that is headline, China antagonized by AUKUS Pacific Security Pact. So AUKUS, um, which, is, which is an abbreviation of Australia, UK and US. And they basically got together and they went, right, we're going to form a new sort of NATO-ish thing. But can just between these three countries. <laughs> they, they went, all right, we're going to hang out with these drone <laughs> guys now. Um, and, uh, and the, I mean, the, the initial thing was that the UK and the US are going to help the Aussies out with some nuclear-powered submarines, um, which is handy because you can sort of stooge around under the water for much longer, hunt for Red October, all that sort of thing. Yep. No noise. Uh, no noise, that's Crimson right. Tide. Caterpillar drive. Um, and uh, but you know it's clearly nowhere in any of the statements was China explicitly mentioned but it's clearly all about China yeah you know China's been sort of taking over these little islands in the South China Sea building air bases yeah every now and then it flies some lads over Taiwan just to go what the fuck are you going to do about it and well here's your answer and that's what's driving all the chip stuff really but um, well exactly I mean it's, it does get a bit it's starting to get a bit worrying because yeah. you know you got the sort of more sort of passive, um, weak Western media going, oh, it's a provocation, how could you? The sort of appeasing Neville Chamberlain types. Yeah. Going, oh, you're provoking them. What? So we never do anything to provoke them. Meanwhile, they can fly jets over Taiwan and we just got to go, oh, well, they're allowed to. Well, it's very similar to that era, I think, you know, yeah. and, and I think people who are, who are, I mean, there's a perception that, that people who are sort of tough on China at the moment are overly hawkish, isn't there? And Yeah, and you can and, be overly hawkish. You can be overly hawkish. I mean, they haven't done anything again, yet. I, think, I don't think 
history doesn't look back very kindly, does it, on people who are sort of overly cosy with Nazi no, Germany in the hindsight, 1930s. In, 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 yeah. in hindsight, Churchill came out better than Chamberlain. And I, I don't, to be honest, I don't see any difference between Nazi Germany and China at the moment well, in terms of late... No, I'm not talking about... You're talking about, like, let's say, mid-30s, mid-30s as opposed to mid to, 1939. Mid, mid to late 30s, I think Nazi Germany and China are basically exactly the same. Yeah, I mean, it would depend... No, I'm not talking about before they'd started, you know invading other European countries and killing millions of Jews. But they were already... I mean, the, the Chinese persecute minorities. They yeah. persecute dissidents. Xinjiang. They're a totalitarian state. They have more surveillance than Nazi Germany ever did. They're exactly the same. Yeah, so do we, uh, and, Everyone's got more surveillance. Yeah, well, okay, but everybody always has done that, you could yeah. say. But there's a sliding scale. There's lots there? of dodgy stuff going on over there. Um, and every now and then someone has to go... Like There was another thing. This is, this is a bit of a tangent. There was... Um, there's some parliamentary group called the We Love China group or something like that. And they invited um, their top UK diplomat over to get pissed in the House of Parliament or something like that. Yeah. And then um, some, and then there's, there's five MPs who've had their assets frozen and had sanctions against them by China because they flagged up Xinjiang. Yeah. So there's another reason I'm not going to go to China. Now I'm talking about Xinjiang. That put me on yet another shit list. Um. Uh, and so China, when you're slandering us, you're being out of order, so we're going to retaliate, because that's what they do. Um, you know, remind me to bring that up again, because that, that was one of the things that I think um, made Australia keen on this thing. But, by the way, Cheryl thinks it's funny that we keep saying we can never go to China again on the uh, on the podcast. <laughs> sure, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not doing because, it. Because obviously they would quite like the idea of, I think, of us at some point being able to go and, and I know, see. But you can just imagine, and, you can just imagine being, but, being asked to go in a different lane through the airport. Yeah. Next thing know. you know... I don't think the reach is that. I, I don't know if, yeah, I mean, I, I think if I wrote for the Times and I'd written some of the nah, stuff man. I did, then I'd be. Well, you were just talking about surveillance but, state. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm not saying we're as important as the Times. Yeah. But, you know, there's no there's no upper limit to the size of a database. No, I know, I know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Do, was I'm there, pleased it, you find it funny. In, in the 6G book thing yeah. that was reported on, was there anything at all in it about what 6G would be? Interestingly, or was it just sort of yeah? Actually, let, let me just come to that a sec. Um, what was I just? What was I just being tangent about? Oh yeah, um, what you're getting a lot with China and the West right now is this stupid thing that everyone's done. I'm not pinning this on China. Everyone's done it throughout history of a game of you started it. Yeah. So RMPs moan about Xinjiang, they retaliate against RMPs, and then their lad wants to come up and get pissed in the House of Parliament, RMPs complain, and then he got, he got banned. And so then they freaked out again, and they said they were going to retaliate, and you just get this really irritating game of retaliation tennis going on, Yeah, which I'm not going to dignify by saying who started it, because that's the very thing I'm criticising. Um, so yes, that's the only thing I wanted to mention there. But yeah, back to your question. I mean, I nothing that I saw went into any specifics. Right. There was another thing, um, a, uh, uh, I've gone away from the story now. Um, there was a company, what are they called? I mean, I, I asked Ericsson, um, Ericsson's oh, yeah. CEO even. Right. About 6G a, a few weeks ago. Um, and he, he was very much sort of positioning it as um, a way to, a way to sort of provide the, the kind of, the kind of network foundation, I guess, for artificial intelligence. Really, hmm. that was his, that was his sort of big sort of. I, I don't think I'm doing him a disservice by sort of encapsulating mm. his view about it in that way. That it was a sort of the network foundation for for things that require 
very sophisticated levels of artificial intelligence. Yeah, um, and if we dumb it down and go, you know, odd number of generations is a um, starting a new technology and even number is doing it properly, then maybe they'll just find ways of doing mid-band and, and, and yeah, make a wave better. And all that's that such thing. a bore. I mean, I, I, I like him describing it that way. And the University of Surrey, which has done a lot of research in, in this country, is like quite, quite a leader, actually, I think, in mobile comms. They, they come out with all these quite wacky use cases about 6G, you know, to do with sensory experiences delivered yeah. over a network, which is quite hard to imagine how that would work. But Yeah, but and I the think, metaverse think, that, yeah. that Zuckerberg likes to bang on about. But I think, to me, if it's just be, if it just becomes, oh, it's a far... I mean, maybe we'd always, we're always going to need faster technologies. We're always going to need things to get Yeah, I think it's faster. the ubiquity and the durability. Yeah. It's basically but, knowing that everything can be properly connected up to an almost infinite bandwidth all the time. Yeah. You know, it's not like, like when I go on holiday in, in the summer to... East Anglia, and I can't even get any fucking internet. Yeah, but surely, I mean, 5G's kind of doing that to some extent. It's always supposed to be. Um, I mean, maybe it's failed maybe. to deliver that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that will be the thing that, it, you know, 5G didn't live up to okay. the promise, therefore 6G's this. But Well, here's something a bit more substantial. Um, some uh, A company called Cohere Technologies. I yeah, I know Cohere. Yeah. You too. Yeah, you do. Yeah, they're pretty big in open around, actually, Cohere. All right, and their chief scientific officer is called Dr. Rani Hada- Ronnie Hadani and he goes um, he's keen on, on something called uh, OTFS I must have written what that is, stands is for oh, in, yes. is this well, involved in the Huawei stuff he's been well this is this is, I put it in the Huawei story he wasn't involved in, the, in the book no right uh, this is but I think on the back of it I think is I think Kohir got in touch yeah um, think going if you're writing about this you might want this comment it's one right. of those speculative yep. things and I actually used it and OTFS stands for orthogonal time frequency in space oh yes I saw this as well it's like a successor to OFDM which that's is right which stands for of, orthogonal of frequency division, division multiplexing. multiplexing yeah I don't even know what orthogonal means well it's lots of shapes isn't it Scott so no what it is either. don't ask me <laughs> Yeah, well, Thogon, it does sound like something geometric, doesn't it? Sounds it sounds like some multi-sided I know, thing I know me, frequency division multiplexing basically means um, multiplexing is getting getting a stream sort of going up and down in the same place or something like that, isn't it? It's like multiple streams, I think. Yeah. It's dense wave division multiplexing you had, didn't right. you? Which is putting, putting several things on the same, yeah. same sort just, of light stream or I something. I mean, to put but, into Scott language, it's basically clever ways of using a, a, a finite little bit of, yeah. weight of, of frequency and getting maximum sort of utility out of it. Yeah, you know? we're, we're going to get physicists writing into this saying, I know, going, a couple geez, of muppets, really, Egypt. honestly. Um, yeah, well, we're not claiming to be otherwise, sounds- so calm down. <laughs> um, anyway, and he goes, uh, yeah, so in the email statement, he goes, 4G and 5G are both based on orthogonal OFDM waveforms. Um, however, 6G is going to require a waveform that offers better performance and supports extreme and high mobility scenarios. Uh, extreme and what, what is extreme? That's a bit general, isn't it? Extreme, well, like well, people like having a chat when they're jumping out of a plane or something. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe it means the rock band. Yeah, I was just listening to. Do you want to play? That's one of the best what's, what's guitar it, solos. Ever. Yeah, 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 amazing guitarist. Um, a problem, and there he goes. Yeah, high high mobility scenarios. A problem identified by several standards bodies and forums. Subsequently, one of the first major specifications of six G is likely to be that it uses this OFTS as the basis for a new waveform. Wave, OFTS's waveform is oblivious to distortion and, and can offer 
and can therefore offer much better performance and spectral efficiency. This will enable a whole range of high-mobility use cases already being associated with 6G. So high-mobility, extreme, all this stuff. I think it's just about... It's it's about ubiquity and durability I of think being all connected. That sounds really dull. Well, tell me about it. I mean, I, I, I oh, think believe me, I I went and had a little look. I went and because um, I'd never heard of this shit before. Yeah, I went and googled it and started getting these scientific papers. I nearly had do, to scratch my eyes. Do you know what the problem with all this is, though, is that all that's really important, I'm sure, and to have that as the and we'll we'll need those things, no doubt, to support services in the future. Mm. But the problem is, for net from a network operator's perspective, you know, they've tried to market these G's as something that consumers and businesses need. Yeah. Yeah. So. Google doesn't come out with with a new service and go, oh, it's based on OFTS and you can put more... It's yes, well, obviously, this is a bit of marketing copy. No, I know, but but that's the problem, though, isn't it? The, the, the Gs are becoming... It's mm. very hard to... When 3G came along, it was marketed as the internet on your phone, yeah? And then it didn't work very well, so 4G became, well, actually, now it's it's up and running and it's, yeah. it's decent, Yeah. I know, I know Dean Bubbly might disagree that 3G didn't work very well and you can use well, did, did he push on back it. on your Uber? He pushed back on my Uber thing. thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't even get internet pages when I'm on a 3G connection, so maybe he's in a better area than I, I couldn't, am. But, I couldn't get any Uber um, about 2 o'clock last Friday in the morning, 4G, but that, yeah. uh, that wasn't that wasn't but, 4G's fault. But I, I just think from a, a network operator's perspective, if, you know, one of the reasons that they're not doing that great is because they provide a technology rather than something that's actually... Mm. Uh, you know, an exciting... I mean, 3G was the op- opportunity, I guess, for them to do that, to say, look, we, you've got the internet on your phone, you know, th- th- and if they marketed right, maybe, and, and things had worked out better, maybe they could have had some of those, you know, those ridiculous RPU projections about them basically doubling spend. Maybe it was never going to be as good as that, but maybe they could have done better from it than they did. But if it just becomes this sort of thing, how, how can you ever market something well, like that's that? Well, that's why I'm trying to read into the, you know, the bits where he says, like a whole range of high-mobility use cases. You know, he's not being specific. But, but then it, it, maybe it falls to our imagination. What What is a high-mobility use case? Is it, like last week, at the end of last week, we took the piss out of those spy sunglasses. You know, is everyone walking around with heads-up displays all the time and they've all got one earpiece in that's just feeding them all this information? There's all this talk, there's all this Neuralink, Elon Musk stuff about everyone turning into a fucking cyborg. Yeah. Personally, I don't fancy it. I think I think it's actually really healthy to be disconnected from technology every now and then, and just go for a walk in the country. Yeah, totally. Um, and you know, do, do you want you and me both? But we're probably in the minority these days. Well, when we're not getting any younger, apart from people that are younger than us, you know. Um, um, but uh, I, I maybe I, it's watching Netflix in the car on a highway at high speed. Yeah, that's what we want. Well, I mean, of course, you know there are there is the, there is the autonomous vehicle side of things. So I just think it, I think it's it's ubiquitous connectivity, which is, but that's quite a boring way of putting it. Is that hard to do then? Well, I've never tried to do that. Watch Netflix in a car at high speed. But even having sometimes that's much. It's hard. It's just it's likely to kill you. Even no. no, no, not if you're driving. I mean, if you're a passenger in the car. Oh right. <laughs> sometimes even just having a phone call. <laughs> I, d- I didn't mean like watching The Walking Dead as you're driving. Like, I was just picturing this sort of heads-up display on the windscreen where the driver's no. sort of half-focusing no. on... No. <laughs> Sometimes even having a phone call, if you're driving through, you know, No, because the cell-hopping cell I've heard in the past, it can mm. be awkward for right. high-speed services. But if you're a kid in the back of the car watching Dis- not, you know, not The yeah, Walking yeah. Dead, but Disney on... Um, on a tablet, is that a problem at 70 miles an hour on a motorway? I think it might be. Because it, it fluctuates. If you look at the, your reception, like the, the bars and stuff, they move quite fast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they do. 
especially once you get out of the southeast. Exactly. Mm. So, um, so anyway, um, we better move on. But I'm I'm not sure what what six G is yet. I'm. Are you even sure what the no, no one's sure. No, no one's, one's even sure, sure what five G is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, you're not alone. Most people don't know what 6G no. is yet. There's, there's but, but what is interesting, and I completely get your point about technology versus actual sort of utility. Um, you know, what, do, what do we need it to be? What problems do we need it to solve? You know, we're always told the big one about 5G is it, it solves this low latency problem so you can have the robotic surgery and all that shit. Yeah. yeah. And that's fine. A lot of us didn't realise that was a problem. We're, well, not, we're not sitting there... Where, where the doctor's about to operate on us, you go, can you just get a robot in? Yeah. Well, it's solving problems that don't exist, yeah. Well, yeah, but then you, I guess technology kind of does that. I think it's solving problems for the operators, for sure. You know? By... 5G. By by giving them a more efficient technology, yeah, yeah. basically. But I don't think it's solving problems for, for consumers and businesses. I mean, maybe it will, but I don't think it is at the moment. Well, I've got... Um, hopefully I'm going to have a video chat with this guy, Andrea Donner, from Vodafone. Mm. I was thinking, you know, how am I going to chat to him? I'm speaking to him just before you. Oh, are you? Not for video, but... All right. Well, well I, I could do it on the video, I suppose. Okay. But, uh, um, or you can ask him the proper questions. I just thought of being, like, benignly obnoxious and just going, 5G has been a bit of a fucking waste of time, hasn't it? Well, and that's just, a good thing to ask him yeah, for yeah, video Yeah, exactly. yeah. Well, exactly. That's what Brilliant. I was thinking. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and Oran, you know, what's, what's all the fuss about? Just basically being a bit of a, a prick Keep, about bring it. Bring it on. To me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that's what I'll do. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, I'm not just making it up. I mean, you know, we've 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 gone about it loads of times. Mm-hmm. We we still don't know outside of certain little use cases like private networks, smart factories, that sort of thing, where where you can have a really controlled environment where you can start utilising some of this higher frequency stuff, and and where where maybe there's the need for all this extra bandwidth and low latency and. Well, a factory is a fixed thing. Wouldn't they have fiber? Well, no, but you still need plenty of wireless going on. Oh. Not, not everything. I mean, in an ideal world, everything would be wireless, wouldn't it? If you could, if you could have it so you didn't even need fiber, so that your computer just connected to the internet wherever, mm. you didn't need to worry about Wi-Fi hotspots. You just didn't need to even think about it. Mm. It was just perma connected. Mm. Um, then you know, and people didn't need to even need to think about infrastructure, let alone SSIDs and passwords and mm. things like that. Do you know? What I think a good question for for him is, you know, on on the on the sort of O-RAN issue, um, is what? Why take the risk? You know. Well, I tell you, you what, because we're about you're, to you're, talk. Yeah, go on. We're, well, well, we're about to talk about O-RAN, so why, yeah. why don't you uh, keep your powder dry on that okay. one? And it's, that's a good good opportunity to move it on anyway, because we've only got about half an hour or so left. Um, so anyway, that was that. Lots of people read that. I think my summary is. I'm always fine with whenever Huawei is defiant and fights back. I'm like, yeah, good. If I was in Huawei's position, that's what I'd do. Yeah, I'd much rather that than they just threw in the towel. Yeah. Um, as as I've said loads of times on this pod, my mind is not made up on how compromised Huawei is by the Chinese state. I certainly haven't been presented with any hard evidence of it. That doesn't mean they're innocent. I'm just saying it's it's hard to come down hard one way or the other. And so so they should keep fighting. And the Chinese attitude, I think, is just like, all right, then, balkanize. We'll split and we'll beat you. So suck on that. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily betting against them. Well, neither is uh, Ericsson's CEO. Yeah. Either. So that's the concern if it all goes totally fragmented. And yeah, yeah, yeah quite. We, we chatted about that last week yeah. or before. Yeah. Um, and, you know, by the sounds of it, they've got millions of people getting 
amazing educations and you know they've got a real sort of work hard culture anyway yeah in fact i think xi jinping's even had to say can you take it down or not it's just people just burning out yeah um so yes on on r&d i i I suspect they'll never be quite as good as the sort of softer stuff as like the americans like marketing and branding no but in terms of raw r&d and and development in general yeah, there's well, no reason to believe they won't a, kick a, ass. There's a semiconductor analyst that I speak to sometimes called Earl Lum, who um, works. He's got his own company, but he's like really smart. I mean, he's sometimes quoted in the Wall Street Journal, uh, knows his stuff, knows all the companies. And he, he had a really good quote. I remember last year when I spoke to him, he said, "In a market of a billion people, it doesn't it doesn't matter that not everybody's an Einstein. One of them will be." Yes, you know? well, sort of it's like it's like it's the same thing with sport. You know, there's a reason Iceland never produces top class football players because there's only two hundred fifty thousand people. It's right. kind of amazing. So there is in Iceland. No, it's, it's, like three hundred, but it's still amazing. Oh, three hundred thousand. Sorry, but what they can achieve with this few people? <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. What can they achieve? Beat England well, at the Euros. They got I, I think yeah. yeah, that was that was a fluke. <laughs> <laughs> Your boys took a hell of a beating. That was Norway, wasn't it? Um, okay, so let's move it on. Um, I'm going to hand the ball straight to you, Ian. Yeah. Um, tell us. So, just to frame it, just to remind what we talked about at the start, but um, there's this sort of um, one of the bodies that is in charge of developing the open RAN technology is called ORAN Alliance. Nokia well, is the body, really. Is it? It's pretty much the only one. Okay, because I mean, there, the there was a bit of fragmentation. Coming, wasn't there? Well, they aligned their activities with TIP, which is okay. the Facebook. So that's the main project. event. They're the specifications group, right? They'd just, like to think of themselves as a standards body, but they haven't quite got there yet. Which is part of what you're about well, to get into. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, Nokia's part of it. They're to bail because they're shitting themselves about getting um, sanctioned by the Americans yeah. for, um, for for coexisting with Chinese people. Which again, I think is is excessive. You can't you can't just have a policy saying you can't talk to people from a fucking country. It's yeah. ridiculous. But anyway, um, and then uh, and then they came back. So I'll hand it over to you to yeah. tell us how that happened. Well, they came back. I mean, I think the whole way this thing's been made out from I mean, emails I've had and you know, Mike wrote a story as well. The way this whole thing's been interpreted by some parts of the o- open ran community has been quite odd to me. And so, for instance, Mike spoke with Dell. Um, who are a member of the ORAN Alliance, they're a contributor as well. But, you know, if you... T- if, I mean, what what is Dell? It's a company... That, what's Dell's background in telecom, you know? And well, it didn't have one in the past, but it's getting more involved now with, with ORAN and stuff going on. It, it could be because... It's getting more involved, for, yeah, yeah. for sure. But who and do you think enough, contributes an American most company. of the intellectual property to the Open ORAN Alliance? Is it someone yeah, like Dell, or is it, is, it, is it people who actually know about telecom? Yeah, yeah you'd imagine and, the and, big kit And vendors. therefore, the people who are, frankly, taking all the risks, really, in, in the Open ORAN Alliance are... You know, if you're, the, the reason this was a worry for Nokia, clearly, was because you're in a group like that, you're sharing... If it works the same way as the 3GPP and Etsy and all those and all those standards bodies, and that's how they'd like to see themselves, then what they're basically doing is pooling intellectual property, yeah, to create specifications, yeah, and and therefore that essentially means you're pooling it with because some of the members are Chinese, and some of those members mm. are on the entity list. Well, and a piece of technology can't be approved as part of the <laughs> specification without knowing what it is. Yeah. Yeah, so, so it has to be so shared. They're, they're, I mean, sharing, the whole point. they're sharing technology among themselves yeah. in, a, in a club that has members who are Chinese companies on the entity list. Yeah, and if, and I, 
I totally understand why Nokia would be concerned about that because from what I've heard, it happened. I mean, it certainly insists it's one of the biggest contributors. And I've heard from other sources that it is one of the biggest contributors. And it makes sense that it would be one of the biggest contributors because Mm -hmm. quite frankly, all the the stuff that Oran's trying to change to do with making front hall interfaces, for instance, more open. Well, all the stuff that was in those front hall interfaces in the first place all comes from Nokia yeah. and Ericsson. And, and Nokia companies. was a bit less, it dragged its feet a bit less than Ericsson, didn't it? Nokia definitely dragged its feet less than Ericsson, yeah. I think. I mean, I think that's fair. They were right there from the start. They were in the group that was... Right. There were two. I mean, there's no surprise. There's loads of Chinese companies in the Oran Alliance because it was actually formed from the merger of two other groups, one of them mainly American, but had Nokia in it called the XRAN Forum. And one was called the CRAN Alliance, which is basically controlled by China Mobile. Right. And they came together in 2018. Guess that's what the C stands for. C-RAN, yeah. So they came in. They China. Came, well, I think it was Cloud RAN, I think, the oh, CRAN right. Alliance. It Not wasn't, China it RAN. wasn't China RAN. <laughs> but they, they came together in 2018 to form the O-RAN. It was something that you could probably not see happening very easily these days, actually, to form a new group like that with all these Chinese members and, and China Mobile having such a prominent role. But they came together in 2018. And it doesn't surprise me Nokia was concerned. I mean, the, the odd thing is that the, the whole thing's been resolved pretty quickly. Now, they, they, they're back in it now mm. after a week of um of being out of pausing technical activity basically they they rejoined after the open ran alliance made certain changes that apparently have satisfied the um the u.s lawmakers that that it's all compliant yeah and that companies aren't going to aren't going to infringe you know and i think the real worry for nokia was it's it's sharing of American expertise with Chinese right. companies. So in so Nokia's case, ask. it's got American employees. It's obviously got Bell Labs there. It's a former American company, partly yeah. Lucent, and it has a huge number of staff in the US. So it's so and it's a big contributor. So it was if there was any company that was going to be really worried, actually, it was probably going to be Nokia in that group. It was always going to be the one that was most at risk, let's say, of sanctions. And what the Open RAN Alliance has done is to make changes that apparently have satisfied US lawmakers. Yeah, so you say apparently, and I know I'm butting in because I know you've got plenty more to add on this, but let me just say one thing just to set you up. Yeah. Um, So I put, when I wrote about it at the start of the week, this is before um, the stuff that you're about to talk about came out, and I actually didn't know you published it, you only just told me a minute ago. I haven't been paying enough attention to your great work. Um, but I said, um, what is not a, what's not at all clear from any of the announcements is what changes were necessary for Nokia's commitment to stop wavering. That's me taking the piss a little bit because they, Tommy Wito put this thing up stressing their unwavering commitment. I mean, it wavered a bit, didn't it, mate? Yeah. It's not unwavering because it just fucking wavered a minute ago. <laughs> um, but, well, it wasn't clear, but you were right to say that because they're yeah, so yeah. opaque. And I and my speculation before I hand it back to you was I said maybe there weren't any at all, and they just had a word with the U.S. authorities to get them to back off a bit. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so you've got some substance because you actually while while they did they get very little well, detail. I, you got hold of I, some more I stuff. I pressed the Oran Alliance for more information on what the changes were, basically. That have, that have apparently satisfied Nokia and satisfied US lawmakers because Nokia would not just return without getting some kind of assurance, yeah, from from its law team. Yeah, they're not okay. just going to go. Don't worry about. They're it. not just going to go. Okay, that's all right, Iron Alliance. They get some kind of feed, and uh, and I didn't get anything from the Iron Alliance, but I did manage to get hold of the email 
that was sent to about about all the changes oh. to O'Ryan Alliance participants, Look which is you, strictly your, confidential and not to be distributed outside the air. So I'm going to read it. Um, so this <laughs> what is happened? Might you get in it. trouble? Are you going to get? Um, so get the first part is, dear O'Ryan Alliance, dear O'Ryan member and participants. Some O'Ryan participants have been limiting contributions at O'Ryan, Alli- O'Ryan technical work because of potential concerns around U.S. trade law and the U.S. entity list. The US BIS entity list is part of the US export regulation. It identifies entities and other persons believed to be involved, blah, blah, blah. I'll skip that bit. Um, so this is interesting. As a German association, O-Ren Alliance is not obliged by US regulation. Well, that's slightly irrelevant, actually, because it doesn't matter whether you're a German association or not. If there are US companies in or companies with yeah, US technology... Yeah, they'll find a way of getting to you. It's, it's a, the same it's, thing as the TSMC it's issue. It's a globalised it's economy. Right? company, but it still had to... Um, ORN Alliance is open and neutral to all companies willing to join and does not limit or exclude any interested company. Well, that's interesting as well, because one potential solution to this was to try and find some way of kicking out the entity list companies, which are three fairly small. I think it's only two, actually. And it might even now be one. So Huawei and ZT are not in the ORN Alliance? Huawei's opposed to open RANs, so they're not. Oh, that's just their hard and fast stance. But they're not on the entity list. Ah, okay, all right. Which is also a contradiction in US policy, but... Um, well, that's because they already had their bottom spanked and they they promised to be good from now on. So sure, now they're not on the entity sure, list. Sure, but the reason that, the, that Huawei's on the entity list is because it's a concern because it's linked to the Chinese government. Well, that's not the stated me, reason, is it? The stated reason is, well, that's the, the reason Huawei's is, on the entity list. I sp- yeah, no, it's you're not right, because right. it's done stuff no, in was, Iran. Yeah, you're right. No, I'll yeah. shut up. You're right. But so, so that's the thing. And then, it, and then this is the interesting thing. So this is about the changes. However, ORAN Alliance members, contributors, and academic contributors need to be aware of US export regulations if they're in scope of US export regulations. So these are, these are the changes. In reaction to the situation, the ORAN Alliance Board of Directors has agreed to change ORAN operating procedures so that ORAN companies, which are in scope of US export regulation, are satisfied that their contributions will be made in compliance with US regulations. The board of there, and then blah, blah. There's a bit of waffle. But basically, um, these changes generally involve making future technical contributions non-confidential. But the nature of these changes cannot be summarised in a single phrase. Um, so non-confidential is the critical bit so that's far. That's the critical bit. So, so basically, and then there's a little bit more about the changes to working groups where they've said, um, so from now on, any contributions that come in... Um, go into this so here it is effective on September the 13th 2021 so that's this week all new contributions containing technical information shall be uploaded to the non-confidential contributions directory this will facilitate implementing potential procedural changes that are currently under consideration so it's a transparency thing it's a transparency thing so the Americans were worried that there was shit going on that they couldn't see well, I, that might have involved some transfer of American intellectual property. I mean, they've done this, and as I've heard, the uh, people who are responsible for the entity list stuff are that. You know, this is this is okay. This is good enough. But I don't think it's the end of the affair because I think what you're going to get now is U.S. hardliners, uh, and there are lots of them saying, "Hang on a minute, really? You know, is is a change like that good enough?" I mean, I, I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but. One of the problems, the ORAN Alliance likes to think there's a massive contradiction here because the 3GPP yeah. has allowed Huawei's involved in that and Huawei's yeah. on the entity. And no one's moaning and about Ericsson's it. Ericsson's in the 3GPP, clearly, and Nokia, and no one says anything. 
The difference between the ORN Alliance and the 3GPP is that the 3GPP is a proper standards body. It's mm-hmm. very, very open and transparent. Yep, you can go it on the also, website and see all their you can little geeky on the website documents. And, and you don't, and, and this is the, the, I think, the sticking point. It's not just about making these contributions non-confidential. One of the one of the things that um, upsets the European Commission apparently. There's a big report that came out last month by the European Commission on ORN Alliance non-compliance with WTO criteria for what what sh- a standards body should be. And one of those things is that the founder members of the ORN Alliance have a veto. They can block anything. Right. And the founder members are AT&T, Deutsche Telekom, China Mobile, which is basically the Chinese government, and yeah. NTT Docomo and Orange. Five companies, five operators, have a block on anything that they don't like in the ORN Alliance. That is not how a standards body works, according to the WTO. It's more consensual. And the European Commission went in its report last week last month, sorry, hang on a minute, this doesn't sound right, this needs further investigation. Even though, I, uh, just, and I that, might have lost track, uh, at least two of the, the companies are European, aren't they? DT and Orange, yeah? Well, they are, but it doesn't matter where they're from. You don't, a uh, veto not is how not how a standards body works according to WTO well, criteria. Funny that the EU says that, because that's how the EU works. <laughs> well, the, the, the 3GPP, the sta- standards body that the WTO approves don't work that way. Right, And that was enough. what the European Commission, I mean, yeah, okay, maybe there's EU stuff. That, I know, that, it's just yeah, me yeah, having but, a pop, um, as I do. But the, but that was their concern, and uh, they're, if they're concerned that way, I cannot imagine that U.S. politicians who are very sort of anti-Chinese and, and probably upset by this whole. I mean, there's people actually been some of them tweeting about the whole the whole thing are going to let this lie. So I, I'm not sure this is the end of it. I think this could kind of blow up. But that but that yeah. clearly that memo is confirmation because I've been asking them repeatedly the Orient lines and they haven't responded to any message yeah. any messages. It has the veto gone you know have you take is that has that been relinquished by those five founder members or hasn't it and that email there's no mention of that at all so in other words in what, other words what you the take from that is still, it's still there yeah yeah yes okay well that's really interesting that's certainly a hell of a lot more information than was made public um otherwise well they don't so, and this is the whole irony isn't it that they're supposed to be transparent yet you can't even get a straight answer i mean if you ever wrote to the 3gpp and asked something i've always had very quick responses right yeah, because it's an ethos, isn't it? Yeah. It's an ethos of public service. It's an eth- ethos of being, you know, if you are totally transparent, then you conduct yourself in a certain way. I think this is part of the problem. If the if the whole thing's set up... Yeah. Like, I don't know about you, I, I've got to the stage now where, you know, you know, anyone who's listening to the podcast knows how I, how I talk. Yeah. It's fairly unfiltered. But I got to a stage where I won't commit anything to email anything even to sort of instant message beyond like a group I'm in with my mates on on signal where we where we sort of banter I'm quite guarded but then if I'm in the pub uh, and I think I perhaps naively I'm not being recorded <laughs> then I'll talk proper Scott shite yeah um, and and I think if you're in an organization where transparency is just baked in then you just naturally assume everything you're going to... Like, people who keep getting cancelled on Twitter, they still haven't understood that when they put something on Twitter, they're publishing it to the whole world. And then they yeah, get all yeah. surprised when the whole world freaks out and takes stuff out of context. I hardly ever put anything up on Twitter knowing what I'm like. Yeah. Um, and so, so 3GPP, they will know everything they do that's 3GPP sanctioned is going to end up getting published. Yeah. 
so they'll conduct themselves in a certain it's, way. It's all non-discriminatory. It's yeah. all one vote per one company. It's no veto. Yeah, and I th- I applaud all that. You know, I, totally. I don't I don't if like. If you're going to be a standards body, yeah. you've got to be. I like think that. I think it's a totally valid. Because, and I'll tell you the other interesting thing about this. I mean, there's a lot of vested interest in this whole O-Ran debate. Yeah, there's a lot of people who are very pro it. There's a lot of people who are very against it. Especially since the Yanks politicised and, and, it. And, and one 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 um, source I have who didn't have anything to do with that memo, so I'm quite happy to mention him. Actually, uh, John Strand, we've mentioned him a few times. Um, he's he's very very sort of uh, agitated about this issue, and he's quite opposed to to to, op- to this. Uh, yeah, some of your coverage. I actually linked through to one of your to your write up before the one yeah. where you mentioned the memo, well, he, and you had I a mean, bit of I, strand action and, at the end of that. He's the kind of person you might imagine because he's quite anti because he's quite anti Chinese. I think yeah, Chinese government, John. Yeah, Chinese uh, politically. Chinese politics. He's quite anti Chinese politically. He's the kind of person you might imagine would say something like. Well, I think the three GPP is probably an organisation that is going to have to change or not exist in the future because we need to have standards groups that don't have Chinese companies in them. And he's not at all that. I mean, he thinks yeah, that he, he, his his line is we need to find ways of working with the Chinese, but we have to do it through company exactly. organisations that adhere to. And that's what the Americans WTA have got to get up to speed on. I mean, yeah. I I actually genuinely hope because. You know, this AUKUS thing I alluded to earlier with the nuclear submarines in Australia and all that sort of thing, you know, and the Chinese have been freaking out about it. You know, some some of it directly, some of it through, like, Global Times. I didn't read it earlier. I won't get back to it. But there's some Global Times editorials just talking about talking about Chinese Australian people being the first to die in the South China Sea. I mean, they've really fucking gone for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's all, it's all a little bit hysterical, if I'm honest, at yeah. this stage. Um but but, maybe but you can see, like you know, we're making allusions earlier to the 1930s. It, it might be hysterical at this stage, but I don't think it's completely hysterical to extrapolate. Well, the, it. the Pentagon's war planning assumes China will will make, will uh, make, make an invasion for Taiwan. for Taiwan within the next. I think it's the next five years. <sighs> they think. If you yeah. look at all the movements and everything that's happening, you can extrapolate. You can sort of do. Oh yeah, and the rhetoric. You can do Isaac Asimov type maths. No, and the rhetoric, and they're constantly saying and, Taiwan is part of China, yeah. and yeah. So they 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 they're expecting it within the next. I know, five years. And, th- and then we had all these people going. You know, one person really cut to the chase when we had all the Afghanistan stuff, and they just went, "You know, really hating this Afghanistan shit, Taiwan," because it was it was basically a, yeah. big, a big statement of sort of geopolitical weakness by America. It is, um, and it that's is- fine. That's not that's not to say they couldn't still. You know, I I'm still pretty confident that there'll never be a hot war between the US and China, but the US could still take care of itself well, I, in a proper hot war. I think if it comes within five years, and by that stage, and this is maybe one of the reasons we should be happy about the kind of semiconductor protectionism and Intel building fabs in Europe for 80 billion and, and trying to do the same. In, I mean, there's scepticism whether it can catch up with TSMC. I know in the analyst community, they always think that... Yeah, there's, I, I share that skepticism. Yeah, there's a lot it's of it's really, lot of, really hard. It's really to do this hard. Stuff. Yeah, I think people under. I mean, and, I mean, and, Intel itself was dropping the ball. Well, and it used to be Gel, the, Gelsinger had to do a web a webinar a few weeks ago, actually, where analysts were asking him about you know the ability to to do that, and and and, they, and he sounds very convincing. You know, credit to him, but it's a hard thing to do. Well, they they but, fuck something. I know, like reading people like um, Charlie at Semi Accurate, who used to be at the Inquirer. He he he's he's basically monomaniacal about the sort of chip sector yeah um granted he's got he's he's this kind of writer who's got a few chips on his shoulder and quite takes pleasure out of knocking them down a peg or two but that doesn't mean he's wrong yeah um and yeah he's really enjoyed intel fucking up on like i think they missed they missed a whole 
process basically yeah i mean they're, they're catastrophic on, for i think them. they're on 10 nanometers yeah there we go and, yeah and um but um but i also know like from my previous life being at hexas and stuff i went and visited a fab when um this company called global foundries was created yep. which was spun off from when amd still had its fabs it flogged which its fabs to buying at the moment apparently. oh is it it's linked with buying global Foundry? yeah, yeah. Well, i wouldn't be surprised that's probably part of their 10 bill or whatever yeah. it is um, no, it's three bill, ten fab. Anyway, yeah, um, uh, it's eighty billion. Eighty billion about in Europe, and, right? And 10 okay. Fabs. Yeah. Well, I, I actually. I mean, you still think where's all the money coming from? Because it sounds like huge. I know. It's funny how they suddenly about. dug some up. In yeah. It. This is what I, I mean. Know there, I know there's, there's there's US support actually, isn't? There? Well, no, that's exactly. This yeah, is what yeah, I mean yeah, about yeah. Um, everyone else thinking, looking at China and thinking, well, if we can't beat them, join them. I, yeah, I, think, I, mean, I think the US is going in a China direction. I mean, what I did write about this eighty billion thing. I wrote a story a couple of weeks ago, well, last week I think, when he said it, and I didn't. One thing I didn't do in that story, which I sometimes do, do is a deep dive on the balance sheet and the finances, and you know, where's the money coming from, kind of thing. But. I don't know. I mean, may, maybe eighty billion over a, a period of whatever it is for Intel is conceivable. Well, but they probably it's... haven't got the cash directly from the American government, but they will have got some kind of reassurance or underwriting that says if you dig up eighty bill and splash it on new fabs, you Just won't, in you Europe, won't though, regret those it. Ones. You won't regret it. Yeah. You know, that's how these things tend to work. Um, but one thing I just want before I finish this one off, I actually think like talking about standards bodies, talking about six G talking about all the chips and stuff. You know, there's a fair bit of saber-rattling going on. It's probably going to ramp up. China keeps flying jets over Taiwan and shit like that. And, you know, the problem with that sort of thing is saber-rattling can turn into saber-fighting yeah. real quick. And all it takes is one fuck-up. Yeah. Like one jet accidentally shoots down a, a, a civilian aircraft or something like that, and then everything just goes <laughs> mental. Well, it happens. Mm. It does happen, mate. Jesus Christ, Russia's done it a few times. Yeah, have they? In fact, talking about Russia, we're going to get on. Yeah, they have. They, they shot down was... a passenger jet over Ukraine, didn't they? Yeah. Oh. It does was... happen. I'm not saying it happens every day. Mm. They shot down a passenger jet with a load of Europeans in. But it's only got to happen once. Anyway. And, and they abduct and the Belarusians. Which and then they made one land just so they could nick some gobby bloke. Wait, which is Belarus, which is basically Russia, yeah? Yeah. Well, it's let's, certainly, let's be honest. It's Alexander Belar- Lukashenko is think, basically Putin's little... I think Belarus speech. to Russia is what North Korea is to China. It's like a sort of satellite I think I mean state. That. No, but in terms of the geopolitical... Yeah. Anyway, um, but what I'm hoping is actually the thing that we write and talk about, the tech sector, will be what pulls them back from the brink. It'll be this need to... That's gonna, by the way, if you're wondering why I'm distracted, Ian's making a tower of of punk tins and they're going to fall over no, no, he's going to not. pan round <laughs> he's actually panning round to it okay it's, it's, it's not very professional it's is it it's the happiest tower in the world not very professional audience um, <laughs> just as I'm about to make some profound points as well thanks a fucking lot um, I, I actually think full. you know the I'll need like the fact that the fact that technology is globalised the fact that um, generations of, of mobile technology require global cooperation I'm hoping stuff like that will make everyone go alright we're still going to we're still going to snarl at each other but behind the scenes we're going to just we're just going to keep it under control because it's just in everyone's interest yeah that's my that's what I'm hoping but you never know yeah, with these egomaniac pricks who are in charge of everything yeah. you know, if they if they just feel butt hurt one day They'll just send the lads in, just to show that they just show they're tougher than everyone else. That's the problem. You're dealing with human frailties and human ego. If it was rational, everyone would just go, "Look, we're all making a ton of cash here. Let's just calm down." Anyway, so actually, that, that kind of leads on to 
we were just mentioning Russia. Um, the thing I was just writing about um, just before we started, and there's, there's there's some other little bits and bobs. Um, what was what was the headline? What's that? Um, is my is my mic cut off? All oh, right, um, my phone's still in my pocket. Maybe it's the laptop. Um, the headline is: um, Apple and Google forced to delete Russian opposition app ahead of election. Um, I didn't even proof it at all before I put it up, so it's probably a complete mess. Um, but basically, there's this: uh, Russia's about to have a general election, and I didn't get a chance to Google it. Maybe I can do it now. How long Putin's been in charge? But he's been in charge for a good old while, hasn't he? Well, he, he had a little t- bit of time off when um, yeah, yeah. his name came in. But well, he, he still, just put a puppet in, didn't he? He was basically still in charge anyway, wasn't he? In fact, he was prime minister then, wasn't he, anyway? Exactly. So it wasn't like he... Here we are. Look, um, uh, this is Wikipedia. Oh, what's his name? His name goes them. Almost like Medvedev, but not Med- I'm thinking of the US Open. Yeah, player, we'll get but... to him. He goes, he's current president of Russia since 2012. So this current stint is nine years. And then prior to that, it was 99 till 2008. So he had, yeah, a, and a little bit in between, he had another nine years. Yeah. And so, so he had four years of pretending some other bloke was in charge so that he could get round But it's basically law. been since 90... When was the yeah. first time started? 99. So he's been, he's been in charge since 99, basically. Right, it's 22 yeah. years, as you say, Pierre. Um, and, you know, it's funny how no one gets to 22 years and goes, yeah, that was good. I think I'll call it a day now yeah. and do some fishing. Yep. It never fucking works out that way, does it, with, with these despotic types? No. <laughs> um, they, you have to take them down or, or they shoot themselves in a bunker somewhere. Yeah, or you have to do some crazy sort of Gaddafi type of stuff. I'll do some Judah. Or Saddam Hussein stuff. Yeah. Um, and there's about to be another election. Now, I don't think anyone thinks um, Russian elections are totally fair. At least Putin has the decency to not do stuff like I don't know people like Mugabe used to do and get like 98% of the vote no because he's too clever yeah. he realises that's a dumb thing to do so you change it to make it 87% of the vote <laughs> and everyone's like well you know that's a strong opposition that 13% right there um, but I think he's shitting it a little bit because there's this guy called Alexei Navalny um, who uh, who he tried to poison well actually I, I don't know he tried to win someone could have been anyone could have been you Ian tried to poison him but he's a uh, he's an outspoken no, they critic. Did poison him, just didn't. Kill sorry, him. yeah, yeah. Sorry, tried to kill him, did poison him. You're right. Mm. Um, and then this, would have been and this Navalny's taking one for the team, and he flew back into Russia anyway, despite knowing there was a price on his head. And now he's apparently uh, chopping some wood over in Siberia. Um, but him, his He'd team never read one day in the life of Ivan Denisovich. Right, nor yeah, have I. Or, or, or the Gulag, gulag Archipelago, <laughs> all, that, yeah. or, all that stuff. <laughs> He, he, he oh, is that one? His... It's the one you're talking about, the shorter Solzhenitsyn one? Yeah, it's, it's Solzhenitsyn. Yeah, well. I heard about that. They did Cancer Ward, Gulag, Gulag Archipelago. But the one that you just described, I've heard, yeah, is a good like, like primer. 60 pages or Primer into it. Yeah. And it's one day in a gulag, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. When was he taken there? Because I don't think he's spent a winter there yet. That's... No, this yeah. is all quite recent. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'd who, have to go through the, the whole... Who was the guy who was in? Is he still in? He must still be in. UCOS, uh well, some people have played it right, like like the lad who owns Chelsea. He's managed to not get, yeah, well, he's not get right poisoned. So far. Yeah, yeah, he's he's played it right. But anyone who doesn't play it right ends up with nuclear isotopes up their arse. Yeah, no, they have a car crash. No, they come over. Oh, they they, they come crash. and live in Chelsea, and and have expensive tennis lessons, and then never go back to Russia ever again. Well, that's that's the I, smart. I, I know a few of them actually. <laughs> right. Yes, I <laughs> not, imagine. Not well, but I know of them. Right. Is, is that because because uh, your son's yeah, handy yeah. at tennis? Um, 
You're, you told me your son played cards with Emma Radicano. Radicano, yeah, yeah. I know, yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. It must wreck his head to see her like all over the telly. I think she's great. Yeah, oh, I think she's yeah, brilliant. But I'm yeah. just imagining Rafa's, like his mate, suddenly this global superstar. It must yeah, be a well, weird they're transition. Not, they're not super friendly or anything. No, but they've I mean, bumped they've into each other. in competitions before. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he, he, he thought it was slightly surreal. I yeah, I bet. That's, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll be in one day. Well, I didn't know And then we can go to the Met Ball. Yeah. What do you wear if you go to, go to the, the Met Ball? Ball. I'm Men definitely going to wear a big white dress with Tax the Rich written on the back of it. <laughs> I'm going to just put a massive pair of tights over my whole body. Isn't that what, um, isn't that what Kim Kardashian did? Uh, just to show off my amazing physique. Okay. Um, I think people would love that. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a niche thing. Um, cutting long story short, there's all this weird shit going on in Russia. There's an election, I think it's running today. No one expects anyone other than Putin to win, but he's obviously shitting it a little bit because um, Navalny and his team have come up with this app that I haven't really looked into it, but in some way it helped coordinate tactical voting. Yeah. So there will be Russians. I don't think Russia's quite as locked down as China in a lot of ways. So there will be Russians who are not happy with Putin and want to do something about it. And the secret police haven't quite got round to knocking their door going, yeah. you, you might want to rethink they just don't have the technology sophistication. Right, so think. so this app's come up, and, and apparently um, the reason this is relevant to mobile is obviously the app is on one of iOS or Android. Yeah. And, um, and the Russian state, by which we consume Putin and his proxies, uh, have been hassling Apple and Google to get this app off because they don't like the danger, the electoral danger it, it presents. And they've generally, I think, pushed back and then, but then just today, um, sort of trending on things like tech meme, is that they've taken the thing down. And the reason they've taken the thing down is um, basically Russia, the Russian state threatened them. Yeah. Threatened their country managers with, with joining Navalny over in the fucking log chopping. Yeah, you don't want that. Um, and, you know, I was looking at some of the reactions. Some people have been going, oh, they're sort of, oh you, you're assisting a, a, you know, a, a sort of totalitarian, all that sort of thing. But I actually think in this particular case, it's not obvious to me what and I'll diss Apple and Google. And I think you know, I think they've they've done some awful like the electoral meddling in the states over suppressing the Hunter Biden story. Yeah. Um, at the end of last year, which clearly would have been electorally harmful to Biden, who they clearly favour because everyone knows Silicon Valley's pro Democrat. Yeah. You know, that's just it's the most egregious electoral meddling, as far as I'm concerned. Um, or perhaps not the most, because even more is someone going, get rid of this thing that's a threat to me or I'll lock you up. Mm. But I don't see what they could have done. So, I mean, th- th- my point of that tangent is I will call them out, I'll hassle them. Yeah, other than t- other than to be martyrs and accept that their country managers are going to go and join yeah. you know, our mate Navalny chopping logs, then, yeah, um, which is, yeah, I, 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 I go along with you on that one, I think. Um, it's... Easy to say they should be principled and not do it, but um, they have to abide by the laws. I mean, no, look, no one makes a fuss, do they, about the fact that Google and some of the other social media companies can't operate in China. They just say, well, they're not allowed to do it. They're not allowed to operate in China properly. Well, there, w- there know, was a little fuss do? a little while ago about Google had something, I think it's called Project Raven or something like that, which is a special version of Google that, that complied with all the sort of Chinese firewall right. censorship stuff. And you know how most of these Silicon Valley companies have got this sort of activist... Um, 
uh, staff base that like to kick off every now and then. Yeah. And so they got some hassle about that. But in this particular case, I didn't see... I've always thought, like, I hate censorship. I'll go on about AWS getting rid of Parler and all that sort of thing. But to me, I mean, there has to be some moderation. Yeah. And to me, the threshold is always law. Yeah. So they shouldn't... Big tech shouldn't be using its own discretion to censor but it should adhere to the law. And if it just happens that Russian law, however moodily yeah. it's come about, says this is against the law, then they've got to comply. Yeah, I mean, I don't agree with the Russian law, but yeah. but they have to comply with it. And know. and the reason I bring it up, and we've only got a few minutes left, is to talk about how I think this is an increasing... Like in China, they've got all kinds of stuff going on. Like, Pierre, you were just remembering, there's this... Um, Recently, there was a story in Wall Street Journal. Zhao, I think it's her name. Right. Yeah. It, a, a super, like, mega actress um, who's not only uh, a really well-known actress, but she's one of these people that, that's really smart and, and has got involved in production and other bits of business. Investing in and Alibaba. Just, and, just yeah. generally a sort of kick-ass person. Um, and, uh, and apparently, she's just been erased from the entirety of Chinese internet. Mm. Right. You just, if, you, if you, like, Googled her or baidu her or whatever the fuck, um, you can do over there. Nothing shows up. Nothing comes up. And and we've had this thing going on for a while where Xi Jinping's been coming down hard on big tech in China. So like a, like a year ago or something, Jack Ma went walkabouts for a while. The, he did. The, the head of Alibaba. He went to chop some logs until he. Yeah, and and then he came back and he was suddenly yeah. going. Do you know what? I've realised how great the Chinese Communist Party is. Yeah. Having we given donate some money. Yeah, yeah. Having having these balls stamped on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> having given it a bit of thought. And uh, and wanting to keep my balls, um, <laughs> I've decided that the CCP is just arguably the best communist party Bloody in the marvellous world. Is what it is. Um, and this is happening to other people. There's this thing um, where all these big techs like Tencent and Baidu and Alibaba are all suddenly chipping into this redistribution fund. And basically, Xi Jinping, to be fair to the bloke, seems to be playing a blinder of of retrospectively shackling all this big tech yeah. and going, yeah, yeah, let's not forget who's really wearing the trousers around here. Yeah. Let's not forget communism. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's the daddy. Yeah. He well, but, the daddy. That's, but that's a weird thing, isn't it? They call it, they call it um, communism with, with Chinese characteristics. They've got this real gift for sort of weird So it's euphemism. basically not communism at all. It's just a one-party well, state with like... Well, what it is, is it's capitalism with, with a ceiling. So you you go for it. You go and you go and sell loads of stuff. You go and make loads of money. I mean, was it on the pod I did my sort of shitty Marlon Brando impression? Yeah. You know where he goes someday and they may never happen. I will come to you for a favor. That's basically what he's doing. He's yeah. going. You make loads of money, but one day I'm going to come knocking on your door. And if you don't want to be, yeah. if you don't want to be going off and hanging out in a valley, you better fucking do what you're told. And he seems to be doing that really well. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I suspect. I mean, this is just conjecture. This this actress suddenly being erased from the internet is another manifestation of that. He's basically finding anyone who's got a lot of power and influence. I mean, there's this superficial stuff where they're going, we're worried about people being addicted to computer games, we're worried about people being unproductive because they're just watching telly the whole time or whatever. And you know, she's not, she wasn't, like, taken or anything like this. Like, she was seen... Yeah, apparently. Some, actually, at, apparently uh, she's hanging around the phone at shop. At a Chinese carrier event. She was yeah. taken? No, she wasn't. Oh. Mm. Yeah. It wasn't like Jack Mark. I was... I was Visions of Liam Neeson going in to rescue her then. Yeah, yeah. Saying to Xi, I will find you. Good luck. Yeah, I want to do like a a family guy, Liam Neeson voice. Do they Um, do him? Well, actually, I think they get Liam Neeson to do it, so it's not like it's an impression. Um, But, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, just so so just to sum it up, we've got this stuff going on with Russia, we've got the stuff going on with China, and we sort of expect it of them in maybe a slightly xenophobic, well, they're all sort of despotic authoritarian regimes anyway. Yeah. But I what, what no, concerns me... I don't think it's xenophobic, they okay. just are. Well, yeah, they do seem to be. I don't think it's just me being a dick. I mean, if the Spanish were doing it, I'd be equally critical well, of the Spanish, but they, but they don't. Um but well, well, but that's the point I, w- I want to conclude on. I think I think some t- I'm worried the West is starting to look at places like China and Russia and thinking they might be onto something there. Um, the, the way we'll do it in the West is more through like antitrust, and a lot of the antitrust pressure on big tech is quite justified because. Yeah. But we let them get that big. They didn't, yeah. they didn't do it through dodgy means. Well, the, the antitrust thing's too late almost in the. Yeah, but but this is what Xi Jinping's done. This is this ceiling he's put on his. On on capitalism, he's gone. Okay, you've made loads of money. Now I want some of it. Yeah, I mean the trouble is that it's not transparent, is it? It's not done in a proper. But I don't think it's done properly in the West. I think we'll get antitrust. But I suspect, and I don't have well, any proof of this, that what's going on behind the scenes is they're going right. Well, we got you banked to rights and antitrust. However, we can make it go away if you collaborate with the state more. Well, this I'd is like, what I'm worried well, about. I, I, yeah, that is happening. That's very worrying. But I certainly agree with regulation of internet companies in 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 the US in terms of, I mean that's I something do, we I talk about too. all the time like public cloud being too big for its boots yeah. kind of thing and 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 what effects could that create and social media affecting elections totally right and for so governments on. to look into that I just think it needs to be done in the right way well that's my concern I agree with you yeah. my concern is that the state has become so pragmatic and so cynical yeah that it it's not actually going to follow through on the antitrust stuff it's just using it as a bargaining chip to get big tech to, to cooperate with the state more. Yeah, maybe. And the big loser, if big tech and the state are cooperating with each other, the big loser is everyone else. Yeah. Right, we're near, well, we're at a time where Pierre's got to do other stuff. So I'd better wrap it up. Cool. All right. Um, thanks for watching and make sure you join us for the next one. Hold up. 